Across the Line Podcast. My name is Paulo Smith. Today's episode is sponsored by Big Ben Desserts and Charlene's Home Cooking. Today we have another special episode of the Cross the Line Podcast. We're here at Foster Park Elementary School here in Union, South Carolina. And we have some educators with us today to talk about a very special initiative, the Read While You Wait initiative. To my right, I have Dr. Fran Adams, Ms. Tiffany Clayton. To my left, Ms. Catherine Summer Go. I hope I said it right. Golf. Golf, golf, I'm sorry. And Miss Tiffany Clayton, how are you ladies today? Melissa. Mm-hmm. I mean, Melissa Ammon, I'm sorry. Hello. I said it. <laughs> um, so, kind of giving everybody the backstory, I saw you ladies uh, last month at uh, my barber, uh, TJ Booker, who uh, the bar- owner of uh, TJ's Barbershop. So, um, I walked in and you guys were, uh, the news state, the news channel was there, Fox News was there, and I was kind of nervous because I didn't know what was going on. <laughs> and uh, so me and my son walked in, we sat down, and he grabbed a book, and I saw all the other children in there sitting down reading a book, and um, it was very fascinating. So that was something I really appreciate because, you know, a lot of times when you go to a barbershop or a salon, you have to sit and wait for a little while. So for me, you know, the initiative is perfect. The, the name of it is perfect to read while you wait because you do have to wait a little while. Even though kids can get impatient, you have to wait. So I really want to say I appreciate you ladies for, you know, taking the time to start that initiative and also how important education is. So to start off with the initiative, I want to ask you, Miss, Miss Dr. Fran Adams, uh, how did the initiative come about? Well, the initiative, read while you wait initiative came about um, a couple of years ago, my reading coach then was Miss Kristen Mitchell. And she had seen somewhere on Facebook where um, a barber was partnering with a school to read. And she said, I, w- I think we should do this. And I will tell you at that time, I had just been um, nominated or assigned to be principal at Foster Park. So I told her that's a great idea, but let me get my feet wet first. So it's, it continued to be in my mind Um, even though I was doing a lot of things. And so this year, I sat down and I said, you know what, we got to get this initiative started. Mm -hmm. Um, So I spoke with Ms. Summer Goff and my reading coach here, Melissa Emmon, and I said, um, I've talked to TJ on and off about doing the Read While You Wait initiative. And because he was approached two years ago, he actually, every time he saw me, he'd say, when we gonna do it, when we gonna do it? I said, it's coming. So we finally called him here one day and we sat down and we mapped out the details. So that's how it came about. But one reason why we wanted to really do it is not just because um, it's something to do. We just feel like it helps improve the literacy of the students. Mm-hmm. It, um, not just Foster Park students, but as you see, TJ had students from Buffalo. He had mm-hmm. students from Monarch coming in. So the read why you wait is, um, I think, is a great way to connect the barbershop to the schools. And it also gives students and parents an opportunity to connect. So that might be, the barbershop might be the only time a parent can read with their kid, but they're mm-hmm. getting, you know, they're still reading. So that's our whole point is just getting them reading and practicing those reading skills and, and that family bonding um, would bring the school and the community together. When you, when you speak about community, and I'll let all of you um, chime in on this together, why is it important? to involve the community in a project like this? Well, the community is the ones that we're asking to actually read uh, when Mm -hmm. they go into the barber shops. But reading is a skill that you learn from 
the chi- the time you're born. Mm-hmm. Um, children are just sponges, so a lot of times we get them, and we have to start the reading process with them, and they're already behind. Not saying that oh, we can do more at home, but we want to try to involve the families as much as we can and give them easy things to do, um, because it's tough working and going home and doing a lot of school mm-hmm. work with different kids and we understand that so this is an easy way um when you're in the barber shop or the ha- uh, the salon to read with your child um and to make it meaningful because those kinds of things do mean a lot to the children and i think it's something that the community needs because when we went um to tj's barber shop the first thing he said was these kids flock to those books Um, And it's just interesting that they innately want to have a book in their hand. They want to read. And so we're providing that for them. And it's it's a chance to turn those phones off, put them down for a few minutes and have a a book in your hand and read the words. And then maybe spend some time with your folks, too, about, you know, uh, maybe mom can ask or dad can ask, hey, what's what's it? what's that uh, character doing right there? Or or what does that mean when this word was used? So there's a a lot of ways that we can do. And um, and it's just, just, like I said, very interesting that these kids want those books, that they are drawn to them. And I think it's a great uh, thing for our community. It's not just uh, their parents as well, but it's for everybody that's in the barber shop. It could be anybody that's there. They can Mm -hmm. pick up a book and help a child that's sitting there. Sometimes we know that the children get dropped off at the barber shop. So if our adults will take this in there, because, you know, that might be somebody else's grandpa. But you know what? If you help me read, that builds a relationship. And it was a passion for reading. And my salon, um, I went last week to check on it, and she said adults are even pulling those books and reading Mm -hmm. um, because they are sitting and waiting. Um, So that's wonderful just to expose. And I even thought about we might can broaden some horizons and maybe put some adult topics there that relate to education. And I think um, Dr. Adams and I, when we went around and stocked the bookshelves, we did a really good job of, of, you know, the hard books for the little babies to hold in their hands and with the hard pages all the way up to chapter books. Mm -hmm. So we tried to account for other people, um, you know, older ages, teenagers, and maybe adults too, if they wanted to read. We tried to have a lot of different genres and a lot of different age groups so that um, anybody could Mm -hmm. pick a book up. You know, the barbershops and salons are like very sacred places where you have very intimate and personal conversations. So I love the concept, you know, going into those shops and salons, you know, put books there were they the first on your list like right off the back you know these are locations that we know children go to and parents go to quite often yes um like i said earlier tj was approached a couple of years ago Mm -hmm. and he never forgot it because each time i saw him he asked me when were we going to start this initiative so i started with him because i knew he had an idea of Mm -hmm. you know my vision and where we wanted to go and then um, being here at Foster Park, you would hear the kids say, I go to TJ's, I go to Hardy's. Um, mm-hmm. So we knew, okay, we got kids going there. So that's one reason why we started with those. And then we got to talking, not just barbershops, because you got young girls going to salons. Mm-hmm. So we need to make sure that we can hit those too. So we, we start hitting the salons. Um, and I talked to some other principals and I said, you know, um, if there are other other um, barbershops that we don't, we don't know of or your kids, you know, go ahead and, you know, let's get this started as a Union County thing. This is not a foster park, like I always say, because this is my community. And we, we, we're trying to improve literacy, building relationships, building the school and community. And that's the whole point. And I think 
this is a, like Melissa said, it's an easy way, a non-threatening way for parents to involve, get involved in their kids' education um, when you bring them to the barbershops and the salons. What's been the overall reception? Um, I know you said that when you went to your salon that, you know, the, the parents were into it as well. But overall, like, what has been the, like, reception from the shops, from the salons and, and the barbershops? with the program so far? I talked to TJ yesterday because I was um, talking to him, you know, telling him about this. And um, he said, man, it's, it's awesome. He mm -hmm. said, I mean, I just speak volumes of, of how these kids are reading and the parents. He says, as a matter of fact, um, Dollar General has donated so many books to me. I got stacks of books that I can give to other salons if they need them because you know the kids need them, and I think Dollar General must have seen the um, or heard the, um, the the news. So they donated the books. So he said that they're really it's really um, a hit, and he appreciates it, and he wants to continue. Matter of fact, he talked about expanding and even coming to the school and having a reading event and. Um, he offers free haircuts and stuff, different things like that. He said, I can just see this going mm -hmm. further, you know, just not here. Um, so he is really grateful and he, he's really supportive. And I think all of them, I think um, Jay um, mentioned something about how mm -hmm. they're reading in his shop too. Right. I had my hair done Friday. So I checked in with my salon then. Um, and Jay at Snippet Salon said that the kids are flocked to it as well. Um, he said the only problem is because we had asked, you know, take some pictures of him reading so we can put that on our Facebook page. But he's like, it's really hard when he's cutting hair and he's working mm -hmm. to snap on taking pictures. He said, but absolutely they love it. And he said, actually, the day before I had come um, last Thursday, he said a little boy was begging to take two books home with him. And they're like, no, you know, just leave them here. And when you come back, you can read them again. And um, so I think that was very exciting that they're even attached to them like that. How do we break that stigma, I guess, of, you know, in a, to a certain extent of, you know, if you, you see kids reading or even adults reading, some people may call it, you know, tacky or corny. Uh, they'll say, man, you need to go watch something or go do something else besides reading. Talk about the importance of kind of like breaking that stigma because even to this day, I still read because education is so important. And, and I, I, I think it's important for children and even adults to understand even when after you graduate high school or college, the education process still is ongoing. It's never it's a never ending process. So can you talk a little bit about the um, importance of you know breaking that stigma around like w about reading being a good thing and not making it look like it's something that it's just like you know how kids would say it, like being a nerd or something like that. Just talk about that importance of breaking that stigma. I think one thing that's important is for children to see that their loving adult, whether it's their parents, their grandparents, aunts, uncles, see them reading um, a book, not just something on the phone. Mm -hmm. um, but reading starts with reading signs and reading like the McDonald's arches, the M. Children start recognizing those kinds of things very, very early um, because kids will say, I can't read. Well, yes, you can. You know what McDonald's sign looks mm -hmm. like. Uh, go to the grocery store. You can see the name of the cereal. They love Fruit Loops. They can read that, those names. So letting parents know that reading is all around the community and just little tips like going in the grocery store, riding down the road, reading signs. You are still reading in different um, ways. Um, so I think to break that stigma, we have to start with our parents, educating our parents how important reading is and the easiest things that they can do at home um, because that's 
that's where the time comes in when you work 12 hours a day you, you're tired mm -hmm. um, and it is the school's responsibility to teach reading but if we get the parents on their side and start as early as we can the process of reading will be much easier once they enter school and um, just coming from like the classroom's perspective we were talking this week matter of fact yesterday we were talking about because about it being um, Martin Luther King holiday we were talking about using the power of words and how it comes from him reading and listening to people and how, how it was important for young men to not think that it was bad to have a book in your hand mm -hmm. it's great to have a book in your hand it's great to learn new words that's how you get new vocabulary that's how I said your goal could be I'm gonna learn these amount of words and you know and I'm gonna learn how to use these words because uh, guess what somebody older than me may not even know that word and I can show them how I can use my words. I said in his aspect, he used them to be nonviolent. He used Absolutely. words because he had that. He had that. He didn't have to use his hands or anything. He was able to use his words to to move things, not just one thing. He was able to change the world. Absolutely. And so you can change so many things, and that's why that in our classroom, my children will pick up a book. If you walk in the classroom, I don't even have to say it. Did we finish up early. First thing they go is a book. My boys are some of the first ones to grab books. Mm -hmm. So it's very important. And they see us loving books. They see people outside of us loving, outside of their teachers. They know, they believe that we love books. And we do. But I'm a big kid myself. So I love children's books. I won't say adult books, but I love lots of good pictures. And you said, uh, Miss Clayton said a, a mouthful um, when she said the words. When you read, that's a lot of times that's how you can learn to communicate um, with people. Um, it builds your vocabulary and, and I think a lot of people are, are afraid of tackling it because they feel like they can't. But um, yeah, you, I feel like if we break, one way to break the stigma is we have to, like Melissa said, we have to start at home and mm -hmm. teach the parents, you know, even if you feel like you can't read, you start the process. Your kids see you modeling. Um, you be that role model, and then they would start. Um, I, I feel like I always tell my students when I was in the classroom, a, a reading reading can take you places that you never can travel to. You know, mm -hmm. I can tell you a lot about China. I've never been, but if you might not know it because when I start talking, you're like, "Wow, yeah, it's reading." How mm -hmm. do you think Dr. King got those words? Reading. He just, it, they just didn't happen overnight. So, oh, wow, I'm just going to get up and say, I have a dream. Look at, if you go back and look at his speech, all of those different, that language is filled with similes, metaphors, and um, it comes through reading and it comes through writing. So I, I just feel like kids need to know that that's where they can communicate with, like I used to tell my kids, I can sit down with the president. Or I can go to Lil, with Lil Wayne if you want to talk ghetto. I, I, I got that too. So, and that's all because I can read and, 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 and I can communicate with the best of the best. And, and, if, and I always used to tell them if, you know, this is a, was a Georgia thing, but I can, I can sit down with Buckhead and I can sit down with Bankhead if you know mm -hmm. what I'm talking about. Absolutely. I want to yeah. kind of piggyback off of that as well when you spoke about mentioning, <clears throat> excuse me, starting at home. And it's, it's tough, you know, when parents, like you said, work 10 or 12 hours at work and then kind of come home and then you have to still, you know, work with your child. And I don't want to make it seem like it's, you know, a personal attack on the parents, but what are some ways that, that we can get parents more involved, you know, 
after working those kind of hours and still, you know, being there for your child? Like, what's the way? Because, of course, like you said, it does. It starts at home. So what are some ideas that you may have, you know, for parents, you know, kind of help their children while they're at home? Even reading to an older sibling, uh, I've had a parent to tell me that um, I've told my grandson to go read to the dog. And I had to think about that for a little while. But in all, she was still conveying the message that reading is important. The dog was very much a part of their family and the only one that could sit there and listen. Um, so parents have done a lot of creative things to, to get children to read. And I think that's wonderful. Do what works. If you mm -hmm. don't have anybody there, a lot of them work different shifts. Um, you know, they, they're good with the electronic devices. Let them record themselves reading. And right. the parent may can listen to it at another time. Or um, like an older sister or brother. But it's hard in this day and age and since COVID and just mm -hmm. sickness and jobs um we feel for our children and their families and we know that we all struggle from time to time so if they can reach out to the school we'll be glad to give them some uh, tips um, ways to help or get them involved somewhere at school if they absolutely have no one then we can find somebody here at school that could get them something and we have been that false park is a title one school we have to have family engagement events uh, every quarter and um, ours are sent around literacy and math. So when they come to these events, we provide them with strategies and, and different ways that they can help their children at home. And they're, they're not um, threatening things. These are small, simple things. And just like, the, that's why we started the barbershop initiative, because we know they're going there. So that's, that's an easy way for you to connect. And, and then even as a parent, if you are, um, it will build your fluency too. So the more you read, the better you become a reader. If, you know, I'm not saying they're not, but it will help. And, mm -hmm. and I think you sitting in there with a child, um, Mr. Booker was telling us about uh, a two-year-old that he tried to um, cut his hair and he would always cry and holler and he'd have a hard time. But as soon as he saw those books and mom read a book to him, the little engine that could, that was the best haircut he ever had. Mm -hmm. He said he was able to cut his hair and, and just that bond, see right there, uh, mom, that's a reading strategy. He's listening. Oral language develops first, so he's listening. Mm -hmm. And then he would develop that speech. So I think a lot of times our parents don't give themselves credit. They do a lot, but they feel like they're not doing enough. Right. So we're here to support them. And it's not always sitting down with a book. Early literacy mm -hmm. from the time they're born, just talking, talking. language. Um, if all you did was talk to your child, even before they learn to talk and say words, that is the most important. And reading just a simple little book and exposing them to words um, does a lot. And that's the one thing I say to parents, if you don't have time for anything else, when the day the child's born, read a book to them or something to them every day, you wouldn't believe. And there's research out there to support it. It's not just Melissa Inman saying it's gonna work. There's research that supports reading from the time that they're born, how they come into school. And mm -hmm. They're ready because they're exposed to language is the bottom line. We've got to talk to our kids early on. And one of the Title I events, the first one we had this year, uh, we, we uh, modeled bedtime stories and how that's an easy thing to do, a, a fun time for parents and to spend with their children, send them off to sleep and then having that book in their head, but nursery rhymes. 
Mm-hmm. Um, that is something that is, uh, there's a big uh, hole, a big gap now that kids don't know nurse, uh, nursery uh-huh. rhymes. So those are quick and easy. Most parents have them already memorized, and that can be things that they do uh, together, make little songs out of it, and just have a good time with it. But again, that's reinforcing that literacy through language. Mm. And the State Department is realizing um, that it starts as early as 4K, and so we have um, done, what, three or four 4K and 5K events where we invite the families in at different times, and it's 30-minute sessions. These are working with words, um, making meaningful words, or different things like that. It's, it's parents just get a couple of strategies that they can go back and use immediately with their mm-hmm. kids on, and this will build the literacy and the fluency in the oral language. So we realizing that parents are busy and they don't have a lot of time, so we have to give them things like, hey, and these thir- and, and that's why we have to be strategic and intentional about what we give them, because mm-hmm. we don't want to just give them anything. We give them these things because they know that they work. And when you, when you talk about, you know, the parents, um, and I know it can be a very slippery slope as educators, and you want the best for the children, but how do you come out approach the parents, you know, because you want to be helpful. Because, of course, I love the feedback when it comes to my children. How do you approach the, the parents? Because you don't want to come off as, like, being too pushy or, or telling the parents, like, they're not doing a great job at something. Of course, you know some of them can take offense to that. So how do you approach parents when it comes to, like, reading and just educating their children overall without being, like, pushy or anything? Well, believe it or not, <coughs> most of them approach us. Okay. And, and um, they, they'd say, hey, what can I do to better help my kid? What strategies do you have? I sent out a survey uh, a few months ago, and that was one of the things that they're searching for. How can I help my kids read at home? How can I help my kids with homework? So they reach out to us, and because they trust us as the professionals, and, and, and most of our parents would take the literature, take the tips, and go back. And they communicate with the teachers, or they communicate with us and say, hey, that worked. Or this kind of work, do you have something else? So they will also tell us if it's not working the way, you know, we anticipated to work. But most of them reach out to us. So we don't have um, that much of a problem to have to approach them and say, hey, mm, that ain't working. They approach us because they know that we have their kids' interests at heart. Right, because it's not about judgment. You know, we don't judge anybody that the parent themselves may have struggled in school. Um, and we respect that, so we try to keep those things in mind, too. Um, that the, A parent might not be a strong reader, uh, and we don't judge. We just try to find ways to help them help their children because that's what they want. Mm-hmm. And I think it all goes back to building relationships with the families that we serve. Once the teacher, the school builds those relation, trusting relationships, it's easy to have hard, It's easier to have the hard conversations when you have to. Um, but it does it goes back to the classroom uh, and everything we offer here at foster park which i think our administration and our teachers do a wonderful job of building relationships so that our families do trust trust us when we tell them something and for me we have a persistent on our um through our, i guess it's our union county system it's called remind and i usually send out maybe once every nine weeks some type of strategy that they can use like um, mine is going to come it's going to go out today i'm sending something just different things tips they can do with reading mm-hmm. i usually just focus on reading but i have them for math but i just try to not to bombard but i send it out at least one nine weeks something each nine weeks that they get something from me that, you know because a lot of times they will ask you how can i help my child mm-hmm. at home and so i want to provide anything they can it's, you know being the classroom teacher i want to be able to be that link between them and that. If it's me sending at home extra books, that's gonna help. It was the strategy that we learned in small group, if that's gonna help, 
at school on a day. So how are the students doing? Uh, this is the second semester of the school year. So overall, how do you feel the students are doing here with reading so far as Ed Foster Park? Well, our foundational skills, we, we take uh, many assessments, um, but one that we do take on the computer, it's called Map Fluency, and it's for our kindergarten and first graders. It's the early foundational skills in reading. Um, we've just gotten that data back, and we have ex met and exceeded our goals um, in those areas, um, and we're looking to continue that because each nine weeks it gets a little bit harder. Mm -hmm. The end of the year test is expecting a little more, but we are seeing great gains in our early foundational skills. Um, do children still struggle to read? In a, yes, they do. Um, learning to read is a very complicated brain activity, and it takes a lot of things working together. Um, it is something like rocket science when you try to teach reading. Um, that's why it's one of the hardest skills for children to learn. So we're excited about our data. Uh, we're hoping that it will reflect on state testing once uh, they take it in third, fourth, and fifth grade. But if not, we're happy with what we're, move we're moving forward and we're making great gains. So we're happy about that. And the district understands, matter of fact, the state understands that reading is a complex process. That's why most of the teachers in kindergarten through third grade, we're taking a course, even administrators, you know, we are required to take it um, because, you know, how can we assist teachers when we don't know what they're doing? So mm -hmm. as administrators, we're taking this uh, class called Letters, and it's um, Language Essentials for Teaching Reading. Right? Yeah. Okay. Basically the science of reading. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So um, which is science of reading. So we that show teachers it's not a curriculum, but it explains to teachers what's going on in the student's mind and the brain when they read some things that like if you see this problem on the paper, oh wow, he's doing that because he hadn't learned this skill yet. So it's giving teachers that foundational knowledge they need to um, help their kids be successful as readers. So um, so we got a lot of things that we know we, we, we have some knowledge, but we know we're not perfect. So that's why we, we do staff development because we want to be the best we can for our students so we can push them to be eagles to fall. <laughs> Is there any specific genre of, of books that you found so far that kids gravitate more towards or is it just I survived <coughs> they love I survived books the, um who would win like who would win between a shark and an octopus or something those crazy combinations they love those they love nonfiction. nonfiction. I was a big fiction reader as a child but the kids now love nonfiction. and and, and what they don't realize is that nonfiction is is really um, what they need it's a lot harder but because it's something that they enjoy they're reading it and they're getting those skills so it's kind of like they're being tricked into yes. reading things and I think whomever write whoever wrote these books probably realize you know we need to get them to read it so but we got to make it interesting so who would win so you're learning about a shark you learn about octopus that's nonfiction. um but like she said when we were growing up the fiction because it just follows storyline so you yes. really didn't have to be a reader if you could just draw inferences and stuff you can get it but nonfiction, you actually have to read and and i think that's um a big um help to our students and i think it's in the end it's going to be beneficial to them because they're getting those skills and they have to think even though they think they're not they're thinking who will win why so even if they read it and you have to explain you know um even before they read but you got the title 
who would win a shark and octopus? Why do you think so? So they're already making emphasis and they're already building background knowledge just from that question. They don't realize, they're thinking, oh, I'm just going to tell my teacher why, but no, baby, I got you going because I need mm -hmm. you to think. <coughs> so, right. and, and, um, so sometimes, it, you know, we, we have to trick them in those books, those nonfiction books that we feel that we have found out that they like. That's what we're giving them. That's what mm -hmm. we're feeding them because they're reading, and that's what we want. They don't always like what we like. You know, right, there's right. there's some gross books out there. No, there's some they love gross books. <laughs> yes. um, boys and girls. Captain Underpants. Yes. They love Captain Underpants. I remember Captain Underpants. That's still popular. Yes. Um, so we have to think about their wants, not mm -hmm. just ours. We don't mm -hmm. want to read about that. We won't choose to read about mm -hmm. it. But a lot of kids do gravitate toward those. And a lot of my, my second graders, they're starting to, I put a couple of books in my classroom that was just personal books that I thought I, they might like. It was a graphic novels. And they're, mm. those are really for fourth and fifth grade boys. This, these books were made for fourth and fifth grade boys. And my, I got three or four boys that's already interested. They went to the library this week and they got that book. And we had the pleasure of having Dr. Adams in our classroom this week. And she was talking, we were I was teaching comparing contrasting lessons. And she started talking with us and she got them riled up about reading and about looking at, um, I think, what was it, Marvel characters? We talked about Marvel characters, and they knew when oh, they yeah. got to talking, and she got to talking with them, and it was just a whole thing. You probably thought we were fussing in there. It was an uproar. <laughs> and they were just going on and on and on, and I think me and her both was kind of looking like, about that character. I'm an incredible Hulk. I don't even know if he's Marvel. <laughs> <laughs> but, but what I was doing, they were still, I was getting them to think about. Yes. They were supporting their opinion and they were doing all these skills, but they thought I was just having a conversation with them. But I was, you know, I anytime I'm in the classroom, I'm always in teacher mode. Even right. though I come in, I go straight teacher mode and and that's the direction I go. You, <laughs> she is. She's supposed to be an observing. <laughs> and she, I, all I got to do is give her a little bit, and she'll take care of the rest. So I go ahead, and she let, let her do a thing because that's her element. How do you how do you keep the kids in, open to uh, to different topics when it comes to reading without like killing the interest? Like you said, a lot of them may be into the Marvel or like the like more of those gross you know storytelling books or Captain Underpants, like how do you keep their interest in other books without, you know, kind of like killing, crushing their dreams or whatever you know, they're interested read alouds. Uh, teachers really should be doing at least two to three read alouds a day with different genres um, so they can expose children to different kinds of literature because mm -hmm. a child may not choose a book but end up, oh, I love that read aloud. Um, because read-alouds are made to enjoy. Um, that's the enjoyment of reading and where they get exposed. So I think the read-alouds in the classroom is where we need to... Um, book talks. And, book talks. Um, and, and, um, I also would just say um, the read-alouds and the book talks, but we have to also tell them that's just... This on the web. That just not. <laughs> it's not just... That's not life that you're going to be exposed to one genre. Mm -hmm. So sometimes you just got to say, because, you know, this is life. We got to expose you to these type of books also. Mm -hmm. So um, just sometimes just explain to them why. You might not like it, but this is life. You're not going to just look at nonfiction all the time, and you're not just going to have this fiction or Captain Underpants. This is life. Um, but the more you can expose them through book talks and, and read alouds, and, and um, we do give them choice. 
um, of which books that they want to read. But again, sometimes our curriculum say, you know, you have to have this book. And then again, that is exposing them in that way too. Mm-hmm. How often should we encourage children to read um, without, you know, making it feel like it's forced? Because, you know, a school day can be long and then, you know, you go home. Sometimes you have to do homework. Um, and you still need to do some reading, but how do we get children to read outside of that without it feeling like it's being forced? Well, I would always tell parents, you know, if you, your kid gets home and they pick up a magazine and it's on their level, let them read it. Don't tell them it necessarily have to be a book. There's words in there. There are pictures that they can have a discussion about. So if they pick up a magazine, as long as they're reading it, let them read it. Um, they pick up a cereal box, if they're eating this cereal, and they're reading that puzzle on the back, let them read it. So mm-hmm. so don't don't make it look like a task. Mm-hmm. It's still right. reading. Right. So mm-hmm. that's that's the things that we encourage them. I think Melissa alluded to that when she said it's just reading the M, you know, the, the menu. Um, I tell you what we're doing today, we're gonna go to the grocery store and here's my menu list, you know, and I want you to read it off to me when we go to the store. That's reading. So mm-hmm. um, those are some things you can do. And then um, I think if we do it still that love of reading and you walk by the classrooms um you see a lot of teachers just giving kids those 15 to 20 minutes of just fun reading time you don't have to write a response in your journal i just want you to read and enjoy reading Mm -hmm. and that's what we're trying to teach them to instead so don't always have to read and write something just read to enjoy for pleasure yeah Mm -hmm. and thank for putting things together um there's directions there and you have to read that's all kind of skills uh, because you do have kids that enjoy putting things together with their hands just give them the directions I can um, read this but I still can't yeah, put them well, together I have trouble with that I, read, but I, it ain't gonna, <laughs> I won't read them <laughs> you just put it together no, well, either that or get someone to do it for me <laughs> has, has the inve- investment and I have my thoughts about this has the investment in, in technology and social media made it harder for you all to, to teach kids <laughs> Wow. You know, and it's almost like we're getting a new language. You know, the, the abbreviations that um, people use with the social media, it's, it's like that comes now into their schoolwork. Um, so, yeah, it has definitely affected that. Um, the social aspect of it where um, they can be bullies online mm-hmm. to each other, and then that may put them on the defensive when they come to school, and then they're not in their learning mode because they're in survival mode. Uh, definitely not... The, there's a lot of positives, a lot of positives to the internet. We're one-to-one district, so we, we like our technology. But um, there's a lot of negative to it, too, that has, um, I think, negatively affected the kids. And that's why Union County Schools, um, they have the blended learning platforms where we, we try to have professional development with our teachers so we can show them the appropriate uh, balance between technology and the books in the classroom. Um, technology should not be your sole piece. It doesn't take the place of a teacher. Um, we still need the teacher. So just finding that balance and, and, and helping kids to see the right place for technology. And, and, and I always tell them, you have to code switch. You know, if I'm doing a quick, she, act, she texts me and I have to answer quick, I might say K, but I'm not gonna write okay on my, okay on my paper. I, I know how to code switch. Uh, depending on my audience and depending on who I'm writing to, who am I speaking to. So those are the things that we have to teach. It's okay if you can code switch and write that when you're talking to your friends. But on the paper, I don't want a you. I want my Mm O-U. So I think just teaching those things and and don't 
put it down, but tell them it has its place. Right. And I think that will help, you know, help alleviate some of that. Would you say this, would you all say this is the most important time to, you know, get kids adapted to reading and learning because like we, we're talking about with social media and the, the positive and the negative impacts that it has, it's so much out there that kids can get exposed to now. Would you say this is like the most important time to get them adapted to, you know, enjoy reading and learning? Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. I mean, I think once after after elementary school, if, if that enjoyment is not already there, you may find a few that find it after that, but if, if we don't instill that enjoyment first, I, I don't like to do things that I don't enjoy doing. So yeah. if a child does not enjoy reading, they're not gonna do it. Um, so they're not gonna get practice and improve. So I think we have a, a big job here uh, to instill in that from the day one that we get them, because we can only start from day one. Mm -hmm. I think it goes back to what you said too about that stigma. You know, if, if, if everybody in the home is going, man, reading is cool. I love that book when I was young. Let's read it again. If 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 the narrative changes on how we speak about reading, it's not for nerds. It's not a nerdy thing to do. It's cool. It's fantastic. You can travel. You can go to other countries or you can go to other worlds, other planets. If we change that narrative that it's a positive thing and that all they hear from very small age is reading is great, then that will stay with them and they'll carry that on. Both of us come from middle school backgrounds of 20-some years in middle school. Okay. So I agree with Ms. Mrs. Melissa here. Um, if, if they don't have the love here, by the time they got to me, I taught 6th and 7th and 8th grade and trying to get them to pick up a book and, 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 and read, it was like pulling teeth trying to get a book report. So then you have to be creative and come up with, you know, you still got to teach them. So I started doing more presentations. So I started focusing on the speaking skills and different things like that to, to get them involved. And um, then doing, um, you know, if I said, well, read this chapter as a group, come up with this presentation or come up with this skit. So you had to be creative. I still got it in, but um, if, if it's not there by that time, it's, mm, it's mostly done. And we have a second grade teacher who loves puppets. Um, and not that everybody needs to use puppets, I'm not saying that, but she does a great job of um, using the puppets for the children to read, and especially those that struggle. I noticed that, you know, they're behind a little screen and they have a puppet, they have a script, they're much, they're fluent, they feel confident. Um, so right there, just with the puppet show um, that she does quite often is in, getting them to enjoy reading even those struggling readers once they go behind that little curtain, curtain. they become a different child so we can't all do puppets um, but we'll see those in kindergarten classes a lot of times and the importance of that is tremendous with just speaking early on using the puppets I was gonna say this question kind of towards the end but I feel like it's a perfect time to ask it and it's kind of like finding that balance of you know rewarding students for reading and then also you know just having expecting them to do it without having those incentives laced into it. Um, how do we kind of like find that balance? Because I know, going thinking back to when we, I was in school, um, we had it. I think it was called accelerated reader. Accelerated reader. reader. Got so your pizza. Get the pizza and everything like <laughs> yeah. that. So it's like you do those things and expecting to you know kind of like get rewards and get different prizes. How do we balance you know getting these children to read now, all of our children to read without you know having those incentives you know. Mm -hmm being tied into it. Like being intrinsic. Mm -hmm. so just, 
because you know, of course, as you get older in life, you're not going to get these type of incentives. You're supposed to, you're going to have to do what you're expected to do. So, and that's what we have to teach them that the incentive now is the knowledge you learn, or the the places you go, the escape that you feel. That's what we have to to train them that that's your payoff. That mm-hmm. knowledge, that everything that you're getting from that. That's what you want because it's going to make you better in all your subject areas all the way through school. Mm-hmm. Younger kids, though, need that tangible. They need something. Yeah. Right. A lot of times they get stickers and, and mm-hmm. different marks. things like that, bookmarks. bookmarks. And, mm-hmm. and, and some teachers, like if they, they have a reading board, if we read so many books, she might give them a party or something like that. But that's usually to get them to uh, get in the habit of reading, but you see her pull away mm-hmm. as the year goes because she realized I can't keep doing this because they got to learn to read, but right. to get them started. And by then, and, and the teacher knows their kids. She knows when the, he or she knows, he or she knows when to pull away. And um, by then, she knows when they hook. A lot of them are just going to do it because they want to at, you know, mm-hmm. at a certain point. But, yeah, you have to start with something to, to, to reward me first. Right. But you got to pull away. Um, and, and that's what a lot of them do. I think they're good here about finding the balance, giving you that star, giving you that sticker, giving you that extra recess, or whatever the teacher chooses to reward if you read so many books. But eventually, you see that being pulled away because mm-hmm. you are in school, and that is an expectation. Yeah. But I, I got to get you hooked mm-hmm. first. Because I was going to say, I, I think that is, it's important. Like, I'm, I'm all for, you know, rewarding children, you know, giving them things because they deserve it when they work hard. But it, it's almost to, to what extent do we need to start pulling back because I, you don't want them to feel like they're entitled or they, if it's not anything attached to it, like some kind of reward attached to it that they don't want to do it. So that's why we're like, as a society, like how much do we mm-hmm. reward children for doing what they're supposed to do? And then when do we, you know, pull back, pull back from it? Yeah, you know, this age of gaming hmm. all has not helped with reading either because mm-hmm. you can game and mm-hmm. get an immediate Oh, I won. Or you get those little coins in your bank or whatever, mm-hmm. and it feels good. Um, and unfortunately, reading's not like that. I know we had talked about, even with our salons, barbershops, to do some kind of incentive where they do little punches for if it's a free haircut, or then even bringing it back to school and rewarding the kids for keeping up with it and reading each time they go in the barbershops or the salon. So we've got a lot to grow with this program and I'm, I think it's gonna only get bigger and better as we go along. Mm-hmm. And even for a sentence, I start out with Book It, but then yeah. later on, the cool thing about Book It, it ends before school, way before school ends. So after that, you're reading because you have, you, you, it's, it's your job and we want you to do it and we want you to do it well, but it stops in March. Mm-hmm. So April, May, June, you're on. We have to do it because for the love of reading. And that's Pizza Hut, that's and I know Pizza different Hut. colleges. Reading with the Gamecocks, right. reading with the Tigers. Uh, there may be something with the Charlotte Hornets or the uh, Panthers. Mm-hmm. Uh, the different programs with reading um, that do come about throughout mm-hmm. the school year. School year, but it's cool to see them. That I'll even look in their folders, and the the book is still there. I'll mm-hmm. tell them. I said, Well, why don't you use your book? It. They don't worry about it. And they've gotten so good. Foster Park is um, getting ready to partner with um, the Union City Police Department. We're coming to the reading with the cop. We're bringing that back. Um, Jerome Beatty um, is supposed to come and talk to me, and we're going to sit down and, and come up with how we want that to look. So we're even bringing that back. 
um, because they are here anyway. So we're trying to build that partnership with the um, police department and getting them in on this initiative also. I know the past few years have been very challenging for everybody. It's hard to believe it's been what, three, three years since the pandemic mm -hmm. has taken place now. Mm -hmm. um, what are the, the biggest adjustments that you've had to make as far as like educating and reading since the pandemic? I was initially brought in as part of that yeah. uh, when I first got here. I was part mm -hmm. of the team that they brought in to uh, do the, um, the intervention, but I was intervention for um, online. I was the yeah. virtual student's mm -hmm. uh, intervention. So that was different because I was a teacher. I was a second grade teacher before that. And coming in to do intervention virtually, mm -hmm. that was, it was eye-opening and to have my babies that got on from kindergarten to third grade to get on to come on and sit with me. I did see a lot of good stuff. I saw parents actually sitting there to make sure they stayed. Mm -hmm. We read books together. I would put the books virtually on the screen and post and share it. And we read together. We did um, independent reading together. I got to see them read, you know, they, whether they read aloud or read to themselves. I mean, it was just, it was really neat to see how we had to change immediately. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All of us, teachers and students. We're going to be really our students now are in third grade that we call the COVID bunch, mm -hmm. I guess, not that's not a technical yeah. name for it, but it's <laughs> just, yeah. um, and those children, we can't blame it all year after year, but even virtually, it's just not the same. It's not. Young not. kids cannot get kindergarten that is developmentally appropriate in our first grade. Younger kids just cannot get the best of the best. Um, virtually even with great teachers no. um, mm -hmm. because they need to move they need to interact with kids because that's part of their development early on so these kids we are seeing some significant um, things in reading going on that uh, we've got to deal with and we're pushing hard uh, to get them where they need to be but it's going to be that way I think across the state hopefully we can get them where they need to be but so, it's tough so that's one of the adjustments we had to make is think about we have third graders or kids in upper grades that that have virtual kindergarten so they don't have those foundational skills so um having to and, and that in the state if now that i'm thinking about it they knew that that's why they got this letters k3 it was k2 mm -hmm. um so they know that they have to have these teachers with some type of knowledge to help uh, bridge the gap between those skills that they missed in kindergarten. They're now in third. It was just K2. That just came to me. I had an epiphany. That's why they didn't. But anyway, um, so so that's why we have, so we had to make adjustments. And as as my reading coach here, um, where she would take foundation for K2, she had to go in, analyze data, and go and say, hey, third grade, we need to focus on these. I mean, I know you can't teach it like 30 minutes a day, but we need to hit these skills that these kids missed in kindergarten and still teach. So teachers have to make adjustments where they would normally teach these third grade standards and stuff. They have to make adjustments for those babies that are still um, missing those foundation skills. I mean, that's why we have the intervention. The interventionists are going in and working with those kids based on their map data um, to build those foundational skills so where we could be working on some other skill that could help them with SC Red, we got to build that because yes we try to prepare for the test but if you can't read the test it's not going it's not going to do anything but i think the best the the best thing to come out of the the shutdown was when we opened back up in 2020 those babies wanted to be in school 
every one of them. They didn't miss the, the computers at all. They loved the interaction. They loved being back with their teachers. They loved, even though that first year wasn't normal at all, with the masks and the social distancing and all that good stuff, uh, everybody just handled it so well. But I think it was just being back together in the school setting that just everybody was and so you thankful thought for. It was Christmas when they got to come back in the cafeteria. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> last year, last March. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it was something. They were like, some of them, this is the first time they ever ate, had eaten in the cafeteria. Because oh, wow. They, yeah, and they were like, what? I go through the line? Right. Wow. You know. Yeah. So, um, but we had to make adjustments. But I think another major adjustment is that we learned to be flexible. We came up with ways to teach that we never mm. thought we would be able to uh, come up with. We um, met parents virtually, and a lot of parents, now, can I just do it virtually? Can you just send a team meeting? So a lot of them don't even step foot back in the school because they can meet us at, at, on their job, on their lunch break. Right, yeah. So we realized that we, we, we were creative by how we connect with parents. Even our family engagement events, they were all virtually. and, and um, um, so some parents liked it, some didn't. But we, we realized if we have to go back through that, that we have the means and, and, and the ways of, of going about still connecting with our parents, connecting with our students the best way. Um, our teachers that were not technology savvy, oh, they have learned because that, that was the way to go. You, it's virtual, baby. You got to get on it. You know, we're not doing paper and pencil. So it stretched them for the good. So um, even that, it, it just helped us see that you know as a school as a community you know we can do this we had things back behind in our head that we didn't know but you know when you get pushed yes. to the to the wall you come out fighting that's what we did and we rose up, we rose up high baby that's mm -hmm. what i can say yes. a few more questions and we'll wrap it up i know you ladies have all had a long day today so we got a few more questions how do we help the children who are not as fortunate you know when it comes to reading because you know you all have to deal with children from different backgrounds. Some of them are not as fortunate as others. Some of them have that help at home, some don't. So how do we help those children who are like less fortunate that don't have that, you know, solid foundation at home without, you know, without having them seem like they're like a problem child when they come into school because, you know, everybody doesn't have that solid background in it and it and they can't affect those children. Mm -hmm. So how do we help those children with those like less fortunate backgrounds? One thing I will say our teachers do is they get to know their kids very early and we have small group instruction and we have um, differentiating instructions where those kids are pulled based on their needs so um, when you look at the data and you see that this kid is missing this skill and, and every kid is going to the table for small group instruction, so it's not like this kid is being singled out, but he's going for what he or she needs. Mm -hmm. So I'm getting pulled for my own thing, but you don't know what it is. So I'm not being singled out in that way. Where back in the day with me, you know, not telling my age, but there was no, it was not a pool of small group, you know, you just couldn't read, everybody knew it. But right. here, <laughs> The teachers know their kids and they know their needs based on the data and they pull them according to that and they work with it and then we have um, uh, interventionists where they're pulled out with, them, with those people based on their needs. So the kids that um, need that extra help in math and reading, they're being pulled and, and um, with our math interventionists and our reading interventionists. So we have ways of helping those kids um, without calling them out and, and making them feel like that they, they can't read because every kid is being pulled. And even down to the, the worksheets that they give, we don't do a lot of them, not supposed to, 
but anyway, a worksheet has its place. But even if you're given a worksheet, um, they can be differentiated, got the same title and everything. So they're thinking they get the same thing, but on the page, it's different based on that kid's needs. So you can look at that paper, you, you don't know. So, mm-hmm. you know, now when I was in school, you know, I, you know if, if you were in this class, you got this paper, and everybody was well, why are you going to that? You got that easy paper. Look at my numbers. But now they can't, you can't tell you can't that. Tell so yeah, even the writing sorry. assignments, they got writing different graphic organizers that the title is the same, but the graphic organizers are different based on the kids' needs. So now kids are not as singled out. And, and, and because the teachers are in tune with their kids' needs, they know how to plan that instruction. And Absolutely. I think it's important for parents to know, too, if, if they have a child and the child turns three and they may be developmentally delayed, uh, they can talk to their doctor about that. And the district, uh, which we house it here at Foster Park, um, a class for our children who have developmental needs, but then they can start at three. Mm-hmm. Um, and we want to find these kids and get them in a program as early. They may need speech or some kind of other services. And a lot of parents don't realize that it's here. We, the district's small, so we only have one program that's housed here. And we have monthly clinics um, for them to come. And we can give them information about how to get involved in one of those clinics and come if they need some early services. We also have, um, I think it's through Save the Children, maybe, um, a parent. Oh, a parent, parent, parent educator that the sole job is to find kids early uh, and to help the families early on um, so we can get them as soon as we can and offer them as many services as we can before they start school. What are some other things overall that you're doing here at Foster Park to improve um, reading and the community? Well, we... we um, try to encourage our students and teachers and, and our parents to um, put kids in. We have the Urban League After School program, which focuses on reading and math. So any opportunity we can get to put our kids in a program to help build that, we go for that. We have the AAA tutoring program, where um, that's reading and math, where teachers tutor their kids or you know another teacher's kids. So um, and it, with those, and a lot of parents. Um, want their kids in that. So we, we any opportunity that affords itself that we can have here to help improve our kids' literacy and math scores, we're gonna do it. Um, we have those parent engagement events. And like I said earlier, we starting as early as 4K and 5K. Um, and then we do first grade. And um, we, we single those out for a reason because that's the foundational years. Um, and then we have the bigger ones where we include the whole school. Um, but they're not as focused, so so we we do that because um, we don't want to just say, well, you know, why why is it just 4K, first grade and kindergarten? So we have those family engagement events, and 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 when we say family engagement, it has a p- literacy piece to it, math piece, but it's fun and it's engaging because we don't want parents come in, we sit down reading to them and say, hey, this is what you need to do. Um, we make it fun and they leave, they leave out with these strategies and tips that they can take and use immediately. Um, so we do those type of things and um, we, we encourage our students to partner read. We actually have um, a four, a 4K um, <laughs> who goes into kindergarten reads. Uh, we also have 4K who's reading on third grade level. Oh, wow. And he's spelling on second grade level. So, um, so we, uh, we, we try to encourage anytime that somebody say, hey, can, can I go read with a kid? Can I go read with this class? 
Yes. So we do things like that. Um, we, uh, if we're invited or if they ask us to, we try to model. We go in and let the kids see us reading. And you, you know, you see me doing this read aloud, asking you questions. I'm yes, I'm the principal, but I, I, I want you to know that reading is important. Um, so we do those things like that. We try to do a lot of modeling here. Um, any other things that I'm missing? I know it's a lot. Well, I we're think school-wide, we do. Um, we, we try to teach our children to be leaders. That's one thing that we, um, our guidance counselor does um, his uh, guidance lessons in the classrooms uh, around leaders. We refer to them as leaders. Um, Dr. Adams every day um, has, or every week, she has a positive affirmation that she does on the morning announcements. She talks about what that means and repeats it every day morning and afternoon announcements we repeat it during the day so um, the leadership the growth mindset that's that's what we're trying to do um, so that they'll take that out to the community too and that's what I was going to say I, in my classroom we work in, on the growth mindset and we do the leaders but we also and it's just cool because you ask that because today as I'm in the hallway to get ready to go to the bathroom with my students um, Kristen Mitchell is our 5k teacher she asks could we partner up and read together. Our classes meet and read together. And she said, her class comes to my room and we'll come visit them. So we're, that was just today. So it's just awesome that you asked that because we're going to be in the process of doing that. So hopefully you can, um, if not podcast, we can either talk to you about it. You can follow up with us and see how we go. Oh, absolutely. Any way I can help, I would, you know, I'm all yeah, for it. I'm, I'm all for, you know, coming. Yes, ma'am. Um, as this Rewire You Wait initiative continues to excel and, and um, and be successful. I know you spoke about it earlier. Uh, will this plan uh, be implemented across Union County as a whole? Um, I spoke with some other elementary principals um, early on when the uh, interview aired on um, the news station. And um, we, I told them that I wanted, it wasn't just a false parts thing, but this, this was my school. So um, they are willing to, um, sit down and, and I told him I hope hopefully it will grow um, mm -hmm. I will approach him with it again because in Jonesville they got Dollar General and, and you know they get a Dollar General grant they got a reading initiative too and I said hey it fits right into to your, your plan mm -hmm. so you know I, I think um, you know everyone in Union County I think they they want it um, and I think that it will um, um, happen but mm -hmm. It was brought to me two, three years ago, but look how long it took me to bring it to fruition. Um, but I think us just getting it started and, and, and just diving in is going to help it gather the steam that mm -hmm. it needs mm -hmm. to, go, to go through. Well, right, counties. because you were talking about, like, the kids that go to the barbershops are from all over the district, all of mm -hmm. the different schools. So when they go back, we'd even talk to the principals about you possibly, um, not just Foster Park giving an incentive if you read so many books, but their schools going back to their school and hopefully it'll start there and then spider out um, and grow from there when the, they really get involved and say, oh gosh, these kids are really are reading. We need to have something ready to go for them um, to build it up and go from there. And Read While You Wait can be taken to doctor's offices, dentists, because children and adults have to wait sometimes, a long time, especially in a doctor's office. Um, great place to put books, uh, which a lot of them do have books but not from Union County Schools that we can put in and hopefully get them to read because they children go in with a parent there too so there's lots of ways we can um, 
expand their initiative here Absolutely. in the union. This is been my final two questions, and I promise we'll we'll go ahead and wrap it up. Um, for the for children and the parents um, watching this interview, um, you know we you gave them a lot of great tips about um, reading and helping their children. But just can you all just give us each a book or books that are your personal favorite books? You don't do that with teachers. <laughs> yeah. Nobody's got that much time. <laughs> Uh, my favorite book is not even in, uh, I, well, I think you can get it on Amazon. It's called um, Miss Twiggly's Tree, and um, it's about a lady who lives in a tree, and the town make fun of her, but a storm comes, and the town needs her and needs to, to find refuge in that tree. That's my very favorite book in the whole world. I have several favorite books, but um, one of my favorite ones is it's a nonfiction book called We Beat the Streets. And it's about um, three doctors. It might have been four. I'm kind of old now. I can't remember. But, um, and they were they were in a um, pretty bad neighborhood, and um, parents didn't have much money. And they were set up. They they was really supposed to be a statistic, but they said early in elementary school, we're gonna make something out of ourselves. No matter what we do, no matter what happened to us, we're gonna be doctors, and we're gonna continue to keep up with each other. And, you know, they were kids, they got in trouble, but that stuck with them. And they're all doctors, and this is their dentist, their uh, mercy room doctor, and whatever, but it's called We Beat the Streets. Um, and, and it reminds me so much of the kids that we have here. Mm -hmm. And I often tell them, I said, you know, um, I need for your teacher to be... Oh, okay. So, but anyway, that's my, fa oh, that's my favorite book. Mine is um, by uh, Debbie Allen um, in the Wings. Um, mm -hmm. It's um, a, a story about a little girl, actually her daughter, but um, it's about her being a ballerina, uh, doing a dance, and then she has a brother that plays football. And it's just a typical brother-sister lifestyle, and the kids adore it. I, I mean, their teacher adores it too, but it's, it's just an amazing book, and Kadir Nelson is one of the um, illustrators, and I, I love it. It's Brothers of the Nights, goes with it. So. You have to read both. I want to say something else about mm -hmm. my book. And the reason why I like that book, because a lot of our kids don't see people like them that is successful. So when you see three mm -hmm. African-American men that look like you, they were boys. They had the same issues sometimes, but they made it. They persevered. Um, and I, I always tell them, you know, that growth mindset, you can do it, but you've got to believe it. And, you, and so mm -hmm. and I, that's one thing. Um, I had a lot of favorite books before then, but I think that's the one that I always tell people to read. Um, read that book, and I, and I bet you it'll change your life. Well, of course, I have lots of favorites, but I'm going to stick with my kid favorites um, that I also enjoy reading. It's the old lady who swallowed a fly, swallowed a clover, <laughs> swallowed yeah. a rat, yeah. uh, whatever. Yeah. Um, it's just fun books uh, with a rhyming tune. Um, that you can have lots of fun with kids um, with with those books, and there's tons of them. The old lady swallowed about everything. Mm -hmm. so. They've got a new one out. She swallowed a crocodile. It came out. <laughs> oh wow! And Scholastic. Well, I have not and the heard books that, that we were um, talking about who will win. Scholastic this month, and for the next few months, are giving them away with any order, no matter the amount of money you order. With. If it's two dollars, a dollar. Oh wow! The book, and they're giving who will win away oh, to oh, each order, each awesome. person that's ordered. I give one of my books, uh, well, I have a couple of books that came to mind. Um, the first one is uh, The Magic of Thinking Big. 
Um, it's just about, you know, just dreaming big and, you know, just having this vision of uh, that you can do anything that you put your mind to. And it's all about, you know, believing in yourself and just positive thinking. And uh, like you said, kind of like those affirmations and all about what you tell yourself in the morning and just just looking for something bigger than like what's in front of you right now. Just thinking long term and just having these uh, having bigger goals in life. And then also, I know he's had his issues in over the past year, but um, will the book by oh, Will Smith. Yes. That was, that's one of the greatest books that I've read, you know, just to hear his story. And of course, I know yes. we all watch Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, yes. but that that was one of the greatest books that, that mm -hmm. I've read, like hands down. Um, just hearing his story of, you know, what the things that he feared in life and how he overcame, overcame it, you know, when he became successful, um, still, you know, trying to find that balance of fame and success with family mm -hmm. um, to hear somebody like that, just share their personal fears and issues that they battle mm -hmm. um, behind the scenes. Um, that was one of my favorite books as well. Yeah. Um, well, he make you write another book now because no one's perfect in this world. Absolutely. Um, so I think that's important for kids to know too. Some people that we really look up to make mistakes. Oh, absolutely. Get up exactly. and brush yourself off and yep. keep going. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the things I tell people, you know, with everything that I'm doing, uh, you know, cover professional sports and being around a lot of these high profile athletes, um, they're human. They're just like us. Their financial situation may be different, but they they do the same things that we do. They have family. They listen to the same music, watch TV. They do the same things that we do. Um, just the financial situation should be different if they, you know, of course, taking care of what they're supposed to. But um, but they're just like anybody else. They make mistakes. Um, they just they're just human. Mm -hmm. And this this is gonna be my final question as we wrap it up. <laughs> What does being an educator and a children, and I'll let each of you um, attack this question, what does it being an educator and a leader of children mean to you? It means the world to me. I, I eat, dream, and sleep my kids. Um, I'm two or three o'clock in the morning thinking about what can I do better today than I did yesterday to make school better for my teachers and my students. Um, I love I just love being around them. I, I don't have a problem coming to work every day. Um, I, I, just, I just feel blessed to be here. Um, I, I just feel like that God put me here for a reason. And each day I come in here, I come in to try to give my best to everybody. And as Ms. Melissa said, I'm not perfect. So yes, do I make mistakes? Yes. You know, do I fall? But no, I stumble. I don't fall because I get up. But uh, so, but yeah, I, I just I just look at it. I don't look at it as a job. I just look at it as a blessing to be here Absolutely. to serve others. Others. That's my whole goal. I'm, I'm serving. I, I, I want, and, and sometimes that can be a blessing and a curse because you want to make everybody happy. You want to make kids happy. You want to make parents happy. But um, at the end of the day, I feel if I've done the best I can do and made the decision to as best as I can, I've done my job, so I don't go home with any guilt, because then the next day I'm ready to tackle it again, because I love just being here at Foster Park. I like it because I get to be myself. They get to see me, they get to see just real, because my class, you know, I've only taught two grades, second and fourth, but I got to be who I want to be, and when I got here to Foster Park, it truly felt like home. Teaching is a passion of mine, but when I got here to Union County, back home to Union County, it truly felt like, I, mean, this is, I knew this is where I wanted to be. It's just the kids make you feel, I mean, it's no, you can't even describe how you feel. I, I love to, I love to be here. I, when I go home, I think about them. 
I think about what I can make better for the next day. I love working with the people I work with, surround with my administration, my, the teachers I teach with, and, and, and even the hall I'm on. It's just like a family. It's amazing. I mean, it, it really is amazing. And the, I think the children feel the love because they show it to us. Mm -hmm. We every day they show us how much they love us and what we really mean to them. And you know what? If that's the only thing I get out of it, that's all I need. Now I'm going to pick up there. I'm going to skip you because I want to piggyback off that. Mm -hmm. That's exactly what I feel like. Mm -hmm. Of course, I want these kids to read and write and do math. I want that, of mm -hmm. course. But I think it's a huge responsibility to come in every day and try to model and try to teach these kids to be the best human beings they can be. And if they don't learn a thing from this school, they will know Foster Park loves them. Yes. Each and every mm -hmm. one of them, it doesn't matter. And their socioeconomic level, it doesn't matter their, their parents' education level. We love every single one of them. Yes. And I want them to know that every day when they come to school. As a matter of fact, that's how I end my announcements every day, that remember, you are loved here at Foster Park. And if you could be in our hallways when you hear the teachers, their kids are dismissing, whether they're being called by bus, it's we see you later, we love you guys, and it's not just love you, and they, they know we mean it, because they turn around and they wait for the us finishing mm -hmm. up because you kind of wonder what they're waiting on they're waiting on you to finish your sentence to tell them that you love them and we'll see you tomorrow because they know we mean it mm -hmm. i mean they can feel we mean it love definitely grows at foster park i'm retired and i think educators in general are in it for the very reason because we love what we do no matter what job i have uh, and I'll do anything as a retiree. Uh, Thank you. <laughs> no matter what it is, we we just want to make it better than we found it. Um, you know, that may sound corny, but I think educators are in it for the children. Even though we get bad rap uh, with test scores and, uh, you know, how children can, are graduating, not reading, every time you see that in the news. But the most important thing is that they have a place they can go feel safe and loved. Um, and this day and age in this community, I think that's very important. Mm. So I'm proud to say that we're Foster Park Eagles here and love definitely grows here. Definitely. I'm going to say one thing. Whenever we are disciplined kids, the last thing we say when they leave out of our office is, I love you. And, they, and that's every, no matter what they've done. And if we are able to be on bus duty, um, when they come up the hall, whether it's me or her or both of us together, and we'll say every last one of them, high five, we love you, we love you. And that's every day. And some of them, you know, you stand there and say, they'll wait on it. I love you. Oh, I forgot. I love you. I love you. Because they know they want to hear that. Mm -hmm. And um, and I think they really believe that um, because we do. And that's so important. I'm glad you guys said it um, because that is important to let children know that you love them because I don't think as a society – in general, we don't tell people enough that we love them. So you know, children definitely need to hear that, to hear um, that they're loved and appreciated. Because you know, as they grow older, these kids are going to want to come back to the community, and they, they they're always going to remember how you made them feel. So to tell them that you love them is a is really a big deal. Um, so I really appreciate you all saying that. So as we get ready to wrap this up, Doctor Doctor Adams, Miss Clayton, Miss Golf, I said it right this time. Mm -hmm, thank you. And Miss Emmon, um, thank you all for uh, taking the time to sit with us to discuss the Rewayu uh, Wait Initiative. Um, like I just want to personally say thank you because you know being educators. A big, a big task today. Um, it's always been. Um, you guys don't get enough credit for the work that you do. I know I couldn't do it 
because of my three children that I have and the personalities <laughs> that they have, I personally couldn't do it. So I thank you all for the work that you're doing. Um, as we wrap it up, Dr. Adams, I know you, you speak a lot of positivity. You have affirmations. Can you please give us one uh, word of encouragement for the parents and teach and the students watching this interview? I, I always want my kids to remember that they can make a difference and that um, they are somebody. I always tell them that they are in control of their own destinies. Um, so those are some of the things that I always would tell them. And I tell the parents that, you know, um, same thing. You, you can make a difference. Whether you think you're making a difference in your kids' um, education or not, that read aloud, just listen to them tell you what they did at school, you're making a difference. So the small things do make a difference. So I would just tell them to keep trying. We love the, the parents and we appreciate everything they're doing. Come to us if you need us for any type of assistance. My door is open, Ms. Summer Goff's door is open. Um, Ms. Melissa Emmon, the reading coach. We love our families, and, and that's why um, you know we would go to bat for them. And I just want them to know that they are making a difference and we love them here at Foster Park. Absolutely. So thank you all again for your time today. Like I said, this is the Cross Line Podcast. We're here at Foster Park Elementary School discussing the Read While You Wait initiative. So until next time, keep chasing your dreams. Thank you for listening.